This is the Future of Security Operations podcast brought to you by Tynes. This show is dedicated to empowering SecOps leaders to reimagine how their teams work so they can scale their security efforts and build a team that achieves more with less. In each episode, we'll learn from a security leader who has found a way to free their team from tedious manual tasks and remove the barriers that are preventing them from doing high-value strategic work that truly matters. We'll learn from their mistakes, distill their best practices, and leave you with actionable insights that you can immediately put to work with your team. I'm your host, Thomas Kinsler, COO and co-founder of Tynes. Now, let's jump right into today's show. Hi, everyone, and thanks for listening to another episode of the Future of Security Operations podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Citrix Director of SecOps and Incident Response, Corey Hill. Corey, thanks for chatting with me. Yeah, absolutely. Really excited. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Before we get started, why don't you tell me a little bit more about yourself, your background, and what you do at Citrix? Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, I'm director of SecOps and Incident Response at Citrix, which is really interesting because we get to see all the cool cases, but... My background is definitely incident response threat intelligence for the most part. I started out my career in an MBR service before moving internally into the financial space, which has its own kind of unique threat actors and sets that um, really helped kind of hone my career and understanding that, especially from the threat intelligence perspective and incident response. And all that's kind of led me to where I am today. We've built this team from scratch. So uh, I'm really proud of what we've built here at Citrix. And it's it's been awesome. It's been really cool. I love this career field. I think it's unique. And so... Happy to kind of share some of that here today. Yeah, really looking forward to hearing about it. I think there's a lot of folks that have listened in the past that are in a similar stage where they're building a team from scratch. So I'm sure there's a load of lessons and hopefully some pitfalls that you can uh, help people avoid. Can you tell us a little bit more about your journey to becoming the director of SecOps? Yeah, absolutely. So in college, I was in a brand new program uh, for information security. It was still kind of when that was starting to become a thing from a college perspective. I did an internship with our local State Bureau of Investigations in their computer crimes unit, which was really cool because that helped build my kind of investigative mindset, really helped me learn how to kind of scope an investigation, really taking analysis, looking at the crime scene. My team, if you've talked to them, they'll hear that a lot. So that really helped me in starting my career. So while I was getting my master's, I started working at Cisco as part of their MSSB MDR service. I forgot what the initials are for it today, but it was really cool because that was just kicking off for Cisco. So uh, I was actually part of kind of building that service out, at least getting feedback from an analyst perspective. And kind of getting that experience early on, we had a variety of customers, big customers for all sorts of different uh, sectors. And so you got to kind of experience threats from different sectors, but also kind of see the security challenges for different sectors. So it's very different across. You've got like financials, heavily regulated, all the way down to like IT, which tends to be a little less uh, regulated. And so the security challenges kind of go a little bit differently for each of those. So that was huge starting out from my exposure. But I was also blessed. I got a few really good mentors out of that opportunity. And some that kind of, that's how I got pulled into the financial space. My first job out of Cisco, I helped build a SOC company. And that's really kind of crazy when you think about it that early in a career, because I only got a couple of years out of college at that point. So that was really cool to see because I then got visibility and kind of more the management side as well, while still doing a lot of the technical work, which I think that ultimately is really what catapulted me to where I am today because of that experience. Stayed in financials for a bit, helped do some maturity projects for a couple of banks before going back into consulting with Mandiant. We like to joke when we were at Mandiant, one year at Mandiant, it's like three years anywhere else because our goal is finding the bad guys. 
um, and doing those responses. So uh, it was really cool part of that. I had a variety of customers that I supported kind of the same way at Cisco, getting that more wide-scale view across security challenges. Except this time, I was more embedded with their leadership teams of each of the customers and trying to really address the concerns they had, not just from a monitoring perspective, but from an overall security footprint. And I think that's something you have to have, especially leading a SecOps team, because you're going to have so many plugs into so many different lines of businesses. You've got to be able to also understand that side. And so that was really helpful. And what kind of led me to get to Citrix is actually out of that manual well, that I came on to Citrix. Obviously, they had a big breach in 2019. That's pretty public. And so they totally revamped how they looked at security. They wanted to centralize a lot of things. And so one of the options was to build a SOC internally. So I was brought on to help do that. When I started, we only had a couple internal people. Now we're stretched across four countries. And so got a dedicated team and they're solid. It's, it's a lot of fun working with this group. That's awesome. That's a, like an incredible career and a very en- enviable career for a for a whole lot of people. Yeah, just even like the, the I suppose the slight law enforcement influence there, but also just uh, like yeah, the background of working in you know yeah financial services in in industry in consulting and now in like a fast growing tech company. It's really it's really cool. And I'm yeah, I suppose I'd love to hear how's your perspective of security changed based on being in those different organizations or being in those different industries, and how have you what sort of lessons have you taken from each of those? It's interesting. Every company, every vertical is different. How risk profiles are built is company by company. So I would say there's not one security strategy that fits all, right? You have to look at what's the actual risk appetite. I think it's really important. Maybe this is because I love threat intelligence, but I think it's important to look at what your threats are um, and apply that to your risk framework and make decisions that way. Again, what financials see is a risk and are usually tend to be a little bit more low on their risk tolerance than other companies may not be as big of a deal for some others. And so being able to kind of view that as you're prioritizing your strategies and how you're going to focus is really a key to success, I think, for security teams. So I think that's really something I've kind of had to mold to, but really help with my experience of seeing those different vectors to uh, to kind of understand that, especially when you start talking to leadership teams. Most senior leadership teams, they look at things as risk. That's something finance can understand. That's something the board can understand. That's something the executives can understand. So it's really important as you're trying to frame uh, what you're trying to accomplish to put it to that. You said earlier that you've built out SOC teams and security operations teams in a few different places. Now, when you're trying to understand that, that I suppose the risk tolerance, but the risk profile of the business, how do you go about bringing in stakeholders and, and asking them without just being blunt, being like, hey, what are you, what are you terrified of? Or, or is it that? Kind of. So what I even sitting down here uh, when we started the team was why? Why do you want a security operations center? Yeah. Um, and now there's obviously some obvious ones of, well, we need somebody looking at alerts. We need somebody triaging cases. We don't want to get breached again. Those kind of things. But when you really start to point in of, okay, well, what what's the goal? Or what are your expectations behind this center? There's been some through consulting that really it is just alert triage. It's really low-level stuff. They just want somebody that they can say, yeah, we're looking at things coming in. Others, which is what we've actually ended up here with, We've actually kind of become a core of the security team. We do a lot of, I would say, consulting engagements in the business. They wanted us to help drive security improvements here. And so when you think about that, that kind of shapes what kind of team you're going to bring together. I think so. That's something we kind of looked at as we were coming here. They wanted to be able to respond fast, which is why we went to the follow the sun um, 24 by 7 model. They wanted experts that had had experience looking in both cloud and on-prem, which is not as easy to find as you might think, especially since the cloud is still relatively new. So that was a big coverage point. 
and yeah, wanted somebody that, that they could come in. We could take what we were seeing and provide value back to the business with that risk approach of saying, okay, here's the type of threats we see. Here's the type of investigations we've been conducting. Here's where we have holes and pushing that for addressing. So it really came back to kind of that core being that risk motivator. I love it. Yeah. It's a uh, incredible challenges, but incredibly, uh, yeah, incredibly interesting hearing you talk about, uh, as I was bringing in those stakeholders. I suppose kind of touching on that cloud and like or the shift to cloud throughout your career, you've really seen security operations evolve like a lot. So how would you describe the state of security operations today? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, even not even just cloud, but even think about the last couple of years with what COVID has meant for the workforce yeah. and the great resignation and all of that that's kind of come across with it. It's been hard and it's caused a lot of people to have to think really critically about how operate in that kind of environment. And then throwing the pressure of also most places now are finally really accelerating their move to the cloud. So it's been interesting. I think a lot of this, the core kind of base stuff of security operations hasn't really changed, but the how and what has definitely changed. And that what I mean by that, with moving to the cloud, that completely changes, especially when you start thinking about different tenants and subscriptions and projects and things like that. There's not just like a firewall you can throw a block on and protect, right? You've got to think of a very diverse environment. And so what are the ways that you're going to get plugged in to be able to even see threats, uh, to investigate them? And how are you going to respond? And I think that's really led to this big push for automation and ways to kind of plug in new environments in an easy way, because it's ever evolving. Companies are becoming more complex with the cloud. It's simplifying maybe the business model, but from an overall architecture standpoint or even looking from a security footprint, it's way more complex than it just be sitting in an internal data center and you kind of focus on protecting that. And so what I've started to see too is at least we've been asked is how do we need to address those challenges? What are the things we need to be successful in monitoring those environments um, and really being kind of a key driver in some of the initiatives to help deal with that? So I think you're going to see more security operations. I guess when I first started doing this before your security ops were kind of centered your entry level to early experience. It's kind of that jump diving board uh, at uh, BB&T. We used to call it the um, the fishbowl because people could come in and uh, kind of fish somebody out when they thought they had a talent for somebody else. It was that kind of start your career point. I don't think that's as much the case anymore. Some companies probably still look at it that way, but I don't. The security operations center has so much visibility throughout a company. They have to be involved in so many different engagements because it affects their ability to respond and monitor that now I think those guys are starting to be like, you know what? These guys are experts. They do know a lot. They can put that threat lens on it that somebody may not be able to. And so I think with that change, we're starting to become more of the the front face of security as opposed to uh, maybe your tier one, tier two security. Yeah, it's kind of funny. It used to be like blue team. Yeah, as you say, it used to be a little bit like, you know, kind of take it you know just go yeah. and do it and it, now it's not just understanding the actual process behind it it's managing stakeholders it's managing incidents and communicating with the business and it's giving people a huge opportunity to learn a lot more about like what's important to the business and also like hey, how, how various different teams and processes function and yeah we did a survey and um just uh times slash sock if anybody wants to check it out basically just it was the state of the sock and how they're feeling about it and it's, they do feel burnt out which i'll definitely talk about in a minute but more, I suppose, one of the really interesting parts is that a lot of SOC teams, even though they may be burnt out and even though they're they're doing a huge amount of manual work, they do feel very respected and they are, they actually have the respect of their peers and feel the work that they're doing is super valuable. So it's definitely changed, it's definitely evolved, which is, yeah, it's great to see that it's becoming a much more respected and much more mature, uh, mature process. 
kind of, I suppose, along those lines, one of the big issues like plaguing security teams today is still the amount of manual work that these socks have to do. Like at, at Citrix, what are you doing to reduce the amount of time spent on manual tasks? Yeah. So one of my mantras for my team is I hired you to analyze and hire you to do these mundane manual tasks. So we've done a lot of work around automation, especially the last year and a half of taking, okay, what are the top time suck manual tasks that we have to do and how can we automate that? My goal through the automation playbooks, we have a small platform through leveraging that is to pull as much information in up front so that my analysts can view that information and make decisions. And then the manual work's handled. So the response, the collection, all that is taken care of. They're not having to log into a bunch of machines or a bunch of different systems. It's all kind of presented. So that way they're using their time to analyze, which has been great. We've seen a huge decrease in our mean time to acknowledge how quickly somebody's getting eyes on an event. And our response is a lot faster because we're able to kind of, we're not relying on IT teams um, for a lot of our response. Some of those, in many cases, a lot of companies often aren't 24 by 7. So you're having to wake somebody up or wait for them to come in on a Monday morning. Now we're just handling it, which has been a value to the business because they're not having to waste that time now. But then the SOC team, we're just getting through things quicker. And by reducing that time, we're also reducing the severity of our cases because there's not that time to live in environment which has been really cool. So the team, they feel like they can actually analyze, um, which I think is important. But it's also freed up cycles for us to be able to work on other projects that are super important. So the way my team kind of operates now, we also have like protection engineering, playbook automation, threat intelligence that my team supports. My team actually handles a SOC analyst um, and IR analyst. But we have the time to work on that because we've taken out a lot of that manual work. And that's where they see the value that they're actually driving. Okay. Business has a question about this. We do a threat intel write-up, um, examining the risk, what it is to Citrix, and that drives decisions. And that's really cool. It's something the team, I think, has been able to like take pride in and how they're driving. In fact, we've even done some cost-saving opportunities through work that we've been able to, because we took away some of that manual mundane stuff that really burns people out, um, and given that time back for them to work on things that matter for the company. It's been really cool. I love to see it. Yeah, like it's the entire premise around automation, obviously, just allowing analysts and engineers to focus on complete specific risk reduction efforts. But it also sounds though that like, yeah, your team are happier, they're more satisfied, they're healthier in their in their jobs. And you're obviously giving them like career growth and that experience that they need to get to stay in Citrix and hopefully, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, hopefully expand the security program. I wanted to touch on something there. You touched on cost savings, which I'd love to hear more about, but I'd also love to hear, I think you, you've just, so you got stuck to a long time ago, but you just also built out a FedRAMP environment. So it's not just cost savings. You're also like adding value to the business, right? Can you yeah. talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, from the cost savings, a lot of that was just looking at some of the main tasks, some of the things we had to log in to do, or how do we have to pull information and simplifying. You can save a lot of money by simplifying processes and simplifying technology. A lot of times the stuff, when it's more complex, it's less secure. So like being able to kind of drive that and make things more simple has kind of led to that cost savings. But then you have a set ramp as a whole different piece, right? There's a lot of technical controls and things around security operations as it comes to FedRAMP. And so we were a big enabler for that. We, we spent a lot of time helping make sure we had the use cases and the visibility we needed to be able to meet the requirements, but also keep the environment secure. One thing I tell people all the time, compliance is great. It's a great baseline. It's not security. You can be compliant something and still be very insecure. And so we kind of take, yes, we, we have to meet the compliance requirements, but we're going to do that. But I don't want to just do that. I want to also protect the environment because nobody's going to care about the compliance when you breach. 
they're going to tear the two apart. And so that's what we try to protect against. And so that's been really cool to provide value back to the business in that way too, because we're giving that extra layer of protection just beyond what maybe a compliance framework calls for. Yeah. And building the respect to the security team, getting them to work on, like if we're talking about career growth, that's a huge opportunity and huge. You learn so much about yeah what the business cares about. And yeah, definitely adding a, adding a ton of value. It's really, yeah, it's really good to see. So congrats on, a, congrats yeah, on doing that process and on achieving it. You kind of touch on it in a whole load of different ways, but yeah, you know, you mentioned COVID and working from home and people respecting, like finding out actually some of their priorities are maybe not work, but there's a major topic in security today is, is analyst mental health and analyst burnout. At Citrix, what are you doing to address these concerns for your team? Yeah, one, Citrix as a company has been really good about kind of tackling this head on, holding webinar sessions, things like that. I have depression. I battle with depression. So like, I, I think one of the big things for my team is I'm very upfront about it. There are some days where like I'm having a depression episode. I let the team know. It's just something we work and deal with. So it's really opened up the conversation a lot inside of my team, I think. They kind of have that open door. Like depression, especially in the US, has always been kind of a um, unique take where it's always just been kind of hidden and been a big shame point to point to. Taking that away, one, reduces the stress of it and has at least helped me not have coping with many episodes. Because it's not something to kind of hide or worry about, about, oh, I'm broken or whatever. It's just, it's the nature of the beast. So I think it's been important and something I stress for my team is make sure they're paying attention to that. Um, you don't want to pay attention to it when you're already having a breakdown because by then it's too late. And so that's a big focus. We have some things that we do internally with the team. Security as a whole started this. We have like Focus Friday. Since my team's on shifts, we have to kind of massage that a little bit. Um, but basically giving a few hours a week for dedicate on projects, dedicate on um, taking time for you, things like that, just to kind of give people that chance to step back, take a breather. Security is stressful. It's the nature of security is going to be stressful. Got a lot riding, especially on a detection response team. There's a lot riding on you being successful, (laughs) but it looks really bad when you're not. And so that's been one thing. Another thing that I've heard from, especially my SOC analysts, is um, the shiftings actually help them. So we run on four tens. And so everybody gets three days a week off. And that's been huge, I think, uh, for the team. One, they know being father son, they have somebody that can hand stuff off to. It's not just going to be up to them to carry something through if they get to the end of their day. So they know they actually get to be at home afterwards, plus having the extra days off. So I think all of that is kind of kind of keyed together. I think where a lot of companies have issues and some of it is hard because some companies aren't able to have a full dedicated team or things like that, as you put a lot of work on a few amount of people, burnout's going to happen. And so it's really thinking about how do you address the security problem of that nature. And it's definitely a difficult thing to tackle. But I think as more companies and more things get a little bit more upfront, especially about the mental health aspect and okaying that, I think we can see a lot of strides forward. Yeah, I really hope so. And first of all, thank you for being so open and transparent about it. It's critical that people do it and people are open about it so that yeah, it normalizes the conversation. So thank you for sharing yeah, no that. Worries. But yeah, it's just, it's so great to hear that. Yeah, that, you know, it's, it's affecting your team so positively as well. Yeah, it's, we're very open about it in times and I've been open about, yeah, like suffering mental health challenges and seeing therapists and things like that in the past. And it's a good to normalize it. But it's also, yeah, it means that, you know, if, if somebody else has, if somebody has any other medical issue, well, they may not have to disclose it, but they'd feel comfortable saying, hey, I, I need time. And it's absolutely mm-hmm. the same to say, hey, I need time. And yeah. Thank you. But also, yeah, I really like that your, yeah, your follow the sun model, uh, model helps as well. There was one other thing that you kind of, you hit on earlier, which is obviously, you know, you were talking about metrics and you were talking about like 
mean time to respond. And then there was also like, hey, you know, we we have been breached and it's now meantime to I wasn't sure I didn't catch the word or I caught the word, I can't remember, but it's like meantime to what was the respond. Well, was it was responding and there was something else that you would uh, mean time to acknowledge, which is yeah. how quickly we're seeing. Ah, uh, okay, okay. But then I think it's more that like you're going to be compromised at some point. So taking away some of the stigma around that as well, where it's like, yeah, yeah it hurts to be breached, and it definitely hurts. I've been involved in major, uh, in major breaches, and nobody likes that at all. But acknowledging as well that you know, as an incident response team, there's going to be incidents. That's the job. It's like a you know, that's why we're here. Firefighters wouldn't exist if there weren't fires. So acknowledging that it's going to happen and saying, hey, that the world isn't on your shoulders is really important for that as well. And knowing then, yeah, with with your shift model, that it's like, hey, you actually got the time off now. You don't have to like stay late and be a superhero to answer, you know, the, the 10 million cases that are coming in. It's really, uh, yeah, it's just really great to see. I love the attitude behind it. Yeah. And just one thing off what you just said too, even when you think about insert response, I think a lot of times, even from like the public reflection, it's not even now so much that you are breached, but how do you? Yeah. respond to that. Um, and that's where you see companies either kind of succeed or fail and how they kind of get that public perception. I think we've gotten to a point now it's sadly become so common that there's going to be breaches, but how you respond to it has been a lot. So I think that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember this is a couple of years ago when, yeah, last pass got compromised and I hope they got compromised again recently, but yeah. in the first breach, they we're just so transparent about it that it really, well, for me, that was one of the turning points in saying, actually, yeah, even the best companies can be breached. Mm-hmm. But uh, being transparent about it and I suppose communicating clearly, like letting your customers know every single thing that's happened, mm-hmm. not necessarily every single thing that's happened, but enough information that no. they themselves can feel comfortable in knowing what steps they're supposed to take. Yeah, it really is. Uh, it's no longer whether or not you're breached. It's yeah, how you respond to it and how you, uh, yeah, how transparent you are. Yeah, agreed. I think it's even great with since threat intelligence, I think, has grown a lot in the past few years and seeing more even camaraderie against competing companies and such. We, you have teams that, I mean, think about like FSI, SACS, IPF, the big Intel sharing community. These are a bunch of companies that probably from a market perspective are competitors, but we're all in the security team together. And I think when companies that are facing a breach can be just kind of own it. Yep, it happened. Here's what we found. Sharing back to the community, all that stuff is valuable and kind of kind of puts back the face of, yep, it happened. Here's how we're addressing it. You can be comfortable that your data is secure. You can be comfortable that you're working with us. But we're also going to help make sure you're here. Here's some IOCs, simple stuff like that, even to go hunt your environment, make sure you're not also unknowingly um, pwned in the background. I think it's just really good. I think it's a good base for security in general. And it definitely helps with building those relationships. Yeah, 100%. And obviously, there are those FSI sites and those threat intel communities. But I suppose, how do you go about building that? Or how have you gone about building those those more trusted relationships with with folks? Because oftentimes, there's, at least in my experience, there's one or two folks sharing and everyone else quietly consuming. You've built up these teams from scratch. So how do you how do you enable that? Yeah, so one of the things we try to work on, we're still tinkering it a bit to make sure it's solid. The way that we can feed intel back to the community. Um, there's things we see that Probably more targeted at Citrix, so maybe not as valuable for everybody. But there is other stuff we see that is valuable to send back out. And so we work on ways to do that through partnerships. Obviously, a bunch of my team have worked in other consulting firms, other environments, and they've built relationships into even there's a lot of like private threat intelligence communities and things like that. And those are really important too. Um, and I tend to find those have less of the um, only some people sharing, a lot of people consuming than you do in like the ISACs, but um, enabling people to also build the relationships there. Um, that's been huge for us. We've gotten some really good intel through those. We've been able to share back some really good intel. So I think those have been 
pretty positive as well. People tend, if you're willing to share, um, they're more willing to share with you, I feel like. So that's another way um, we kind of look at building those relationships. Nobody wants to be the one way on that side. Yeah, people like paying it back. People like paying it forward. Along those lines, one of the things you touched on earlier was that you've been fortunate enough to, I suppose, to have been mentored in your career. How important has that been in your success? Extremely. And mentor, I have mentors that are very blunt with me. I'm a blunt person in general, so I take that as well too. They're very straightforward, and um, it's been great. I know I can go to them. I can trust their answers because they're going to be honest with me. And so that's that's been huge, and it's something I try to pass back to people that I mentor because I am. Relatively young in my career, still at eight, nine years in, um, and sitting in a director position. So it's been crazy how fast it's moved. But having those people that I can trust to talk and just work through, sometimes it helps just to have somebody listen. You talk it through and figure out the answer on your own. Yeah. So it's really important. If you don't have a mentor in security, you probably should find it and find a good one. Um, so I was really blessed in my first job to get a lot of really good ones that I still keep in contact with today. So I think that's huge. And how have you gone about paying that forward? And how, how would somebody say, hey, how, uh, Corey, how do, how do you become, uh, how do I become one of your mentees, I suppose? Yeah, there's been a couple of ways. I've um, internally, so we do something what we call the analyst area of interest. And so analysts can kind of think about what their career goals are. Right? Some of them want to go into management. Some of them want to go into dedicated threat intel. Some are more engineering focused. I've got a couple that are interested in cloud architecture. And some of those things I can directly mentor and help kind of provide guidance on getting a career path that way. Some of them, I have no clue. That's just not my background. But getting them connected to the right people can help their mentor, put them on projects where they can learn those things. I think it's been really key, at least from like an internal mentoring perspective. Um, I obviously meet people, you know, credit intel communities or people reach out on LinkedIn or what have you um, to ask questions or follow up on. And so I try to set up like monthly cadences in the beginning, at least, just to get to know the person what they're looking for in their career, what they've done. There's no guidance that fits all either. Everybody's path's a little bit different, but just kind of being that that sounding board too, where they can kind of push things back and forth off and building that trust. I'm going to be honest. Uh, I'm going to show their honesty either way. So I think it's good. Yeah. And if you are super transparent, it, it makes everybody's maybe not easier at that particular conversation, yeah. but it's, Sometimes it's, it's not what I want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> but it definitely makes that relationship stronger and everybody's in a much better, uh, yeah, much better place. You can, you can get to the solution uh, a lot quicker as well. But sometimes there isn't a solution. Sometimes just talking, uh, talking helps as well. You've started up a couple of SOC teams. You've seen security from a bunch of different perspectives. What's the number one piece of advice that you share with others who are like leading security teams at fast growing technology companies like Citrix? Embrace the crazy. <laughs> I found while it's uh, it's definitely stressful at times, uh, especially the past growing because a lot of times things are moving faster than you want to try to be able to keep up. But we've also found a lot of really cool ways to innovate. There's new automations we can put in or it kind of challenges the way we think of a problem and which has helped us develop some pretty cool solutions around how we do certain cloud monitoring or how we're pulling in certain sets of data or even how we're responding in certain situations. So I think that's been really cool. Um, embrace the stress, embrace the difficult. And know that it comes in seasons, even fast-moving tech companies. There's always kind of ebbs and flows to what you're doing. I find that, and I tell people, especially in the case, it seems like that even with fiber threats, right? So they get more active for a season, and maybe it drops down and gets a little more quieter. It gets more active and kind of um, trickles down. Also being able, going back to the mental health thing, find your time in those rhythms so that you have the mental capacity to kind of handle the stress and be able to find the solutions inside of it. A lot of times we've had some very head-banging on a wall moments but then come out with something really cool from it or build a really good relationship internally by helping somebody solve a problem. So yeah, embrace the crazy. 
Yeah, it's kind of funny as well. Incidents do make your team stronger, but they also can build really good relationships internally where you will pretty quickly identify who is the best person to partner with or who is like actually knows their stuff so well for everybody in, I don't know, tech ops or any place else that's uh, that's listening to this. A lot of you folks are incredible. So, but yeah, you, you're like, this person is 100% somebody we should be partnering with. I suppose, yeah, it's what, what you train for, but it's also like, yeah, there's an opportunity to grow in those in those circumstances and show some of your skills, even though it's a highly stressful environment. Yeah, like, so you've seen security grow, you've seen security evolve. Five years from now, what do you think security operations teams will look like? Yeah, that's a great question. It's hard because there's not a, again, there's not a security operations model that fits up. What we've seen, I think we've seen some pendulum swings between the 24 by 7 policy model to a smaller team model. I mean, it kind of goes back and forth. I think some of the base will be about the same, but I think the challenges will be a little bit different. There's going to be in five years, a lot more is going to be pushed directly to the cloud. I think you're going to see a lot more companies that are cloud first as opposed to internal first. And that's just going to change because forensics is different in the cloud. Monitoring is different in the cloud. So I think it's going to change the way that teams have to kind of look at what they're monitoring, what they're, what's important, and really being able to prioritize what they're doing. So I think you're going to end up seeing probably a more focused security ops group. I think before it was throw all the data you can at the SOC and let them look at it. I know a lot of people, I think soon we just sit here and look at logs, go across the screen all day and pick them out as it goes. But really being focused on what your priorities are and targeting what your teams are going to focus on in order to drive that success, as well as have to address the burnout thing. SOC analyst life cycles are very short at companies typically. And so that's hard. So I think there's going to have to be some around that kind of address. So yeah, I think it's the base is going to be the same. The challenges are what's going to be a little bit different um, or where the focuses are is where you'll see some of those changes. Nice. Yeah, I agree entirely. I think that's, uh, yeah, fortunately or unfortunately where, where we're going. Corey, unfortunately, that's all we're going to have time today. But before we wrap up, if people want to follow your journey, keep up with where you're going, where should they go? Yeah, um, you can find me on LinkedIn or if you want to follow Twitter. I don't post as much as I probably should, um, but occasionally I throw out some nuggets. Uh, it's CyberSecDad2014. And so you can reach out to me that way. Happy to get to meet people, mentor. I'd like to give back. So uh, yeah, feel free to reach out to me either way. Fab, well, thank you so much for joining. We hope you come on again in the future. Yeah, absolutely. It's been great. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Future of Security Operations podcast by Tynes. If you enjoyed today's show, please do us a favor and leave us a review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast platform. For additional episodes, visit tynes.com slash podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about how Tynes Automation Platform can transform your security operations team, visit tynes.com. Thanks again, and I'll catch you on the next episode.